Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Jerry Meyer, and she'll be answering your questions on the driftless area of Wisconsin. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we are broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Jerry a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form on our right side of our web pages, and then we'll let you know when the next live show will be. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You can also find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have to leave early, you can return to our website or any of the podcast platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook and Instagram or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use the hashtag AskAboutFlyFishing and hashtag FlyFishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now. Well, we've got a couple of links on our homepage to get you out there. And if you can share what's going on here, we'd really appreciate it. I'd also like to let you know about a new social media app that I and many of our guests have had on Ask About Fly Fishing are using for conversations on fly fishing. It's called Clubhouse. We started a club room on the Fly Fishing Club, and in that club we're hosting a room called Fly Fishing Q&A every Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Clubhouse is like a conference call where people can call in and talk with each other live. I've invited the top fly fishers that have been on my shows to join the conversations. And if you are a member of Clubhouse, follow me on Clubhouse and you'll be notified when we open the rooms. If you're not a member, you need to join. Just And to join, you have to have an iPhone. And now they are gradually opening it up to Androids as well. But you'll need to be invited. If you need an invitation, contact me at roger at askaboutflyfishing.com. Again, that's roger at askaboutflyfishing.com. And I'll help you get an invitation. Again, I'll be hosting the Fly Fishing Q&A on Clubhouse every Thursday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, so we hope to see you there. The content of this broadcast is being copyrighted as the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Jerry Meyer about the Driftless area of Wisconsin. The Colorado River at Lee's Ferry is called by some the world's largest spring creek. It's a massive, clear-running tailwater fishery that runs 15.5 miles from the base of the Glen Canyon Dam to the upper reaches of the Grand Canyon. At times, it gives the impression of being not one or two, but a series of parallel Spring Creek-like waterways. The fishing is great, and the scenery is gorgeous. Lee's Ferry Anglers provides professional guide service to this outstanding rainbow trout fishery, as well as food and lodging at Cliff Dwellers Restaurant and Lodge. See for yourself why Lee's Ferry is on every fly fisher's must-do list. Visit leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. Again, that's leesferryanglers.com or call them at 800-962-9755. Before we introduce Jerry, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Time Journal. 
So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Jerry's section that says register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a book from Stackpole Books, and here's how you can win that book. Now, it's actually, I have a list of books that you'll be able to select from. If you are the winner, we'll send you that list, and you can pick one that suits your needs. So the way that you win this is you've got to be the first person to answer the question, or it could be a two-part question at the end of the show. It's going to be something that Jerry and I talk about during the show, and you'll just have to take good notes and be a fast typist, and maybe you'll win that book from Stackpole Books. So listen closely, and hope you win. Tonight, our guest is Jerry Meyer. Jerry was born and raised in eastern Washington state, but her fly fishing obsession started while vacationing in the Blue Mountains of Oregon in the mid-90s. While living in northern New Mexico, she met her husband, Matt Wagner, and in 2006, they decided that they needed to move their family to the Midwest to open a fly shop in the Driftless region of southwest Wisconsin. Jerry and her husband have owned the Driftless Angler for 15 years, and she's been guiding southwest Wisconsin Spring Creeks for over 11 years. In 2015, Jerry opened Women's Fly Shop, formerly Athena and Artemis Women's Fly Shop, so that women could have quality fly fishing apparel and gear all in one spot. Over the years, Jerry has passionately committed to introducing as many women to the sport of fly fishing as she can. You can find her speaking about women and fly fishing at various TU meetings in the Midwest, partnering with women's fly fishing groups and teaching at women's clinics and volunteering her time with Casting for Recovery. Jerry, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. And by the way, Jerry's frequents the clubhouse room we have so if you want to talk more with jerry after tonight <laughs> she's she's most often there so are you enjoying that jerry clubhouse i love it it's every thursday i'm on i learn something i'm without a doubt every week i learn something important i learn stuff that i thought ah, how did i not know that it's fantastic yeah. and you teach us as well so it goes both ways <laughs> that's that's what it's all about jerry i'm going to ask you to get on your receiver because it's you kind of Jumping. So, a little muffled? No, Is that it's better? kind of choppy for some reason. Oh, yeah, got it. Much better. Got I think this speakerphone wasn't engaging quickly enough. Okay, okay good. Let's well, go a little smoother. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Clubhouse is a lot of fun. It's a good, great way to exchange information, and we're growing inch by inch, but we need more people right. out there. So hopefully, we'll get some takers tonight, and that'd be great. Yeah. But uh, yeah. meanwhile, we talk, and we've talked about the Driftless area on Clubhouse as well. That's where I got to know you, and that's why we're here today. So that's great. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. We're talking about Wisconsin. That's kind of your stomping grounds right now and your home waters. Yep. But the Driftless area actually covers a much larger area than just Wisconsin, right? It does indeed. So I would just say if anybody is curious, just immediately, real quick, Google Driftless Area Map. And there are many to choose from, but that gives you just kind of a small snippet idea of where exactly the driftless is. So 
technically the southwestern corner of Wisconsin, and it's a fair, I would say it's if not a quarter of the state, eh, maybe a third, but the largest portion of the driftless is in Wisconsin. And then the southeastern corner of Minnesota, not quite as big, in fact, maybe about half as big as Wisconsin. And then the northeastern corner of Iowa, and again, it's uh, not as big as Wisconsin, it's a fair chunk, a little bit bigger than Minnesota, and then a teeny, teeny sliver of the northwestern corner of Illinois. That is what is considered the driftless area. Okay, okay. And, and there's fishing in Minnesota as well as Iowa? Yeah, absolutely. Minnesota and so Iowa is a different fishery for sure. They're all managed differently state by state. But Iowa is, I don't want to say all put and take. There's certainly a lot of wild fish, but there is a fair amount of stock rainbow. And they don't manage quite the same way as Wisconsin and Minnesota do. Wisconsin and Minnesota manage fairly similarly. Okay. And that was going to be one of my questions is, are these wild fish or are they stocked fish? Or how do they manage it in Wisconsin? Almost all wild fish in Wisconsin, in fact, in our direct area, what I call dripless in my region, doesn't encompass the whole of the dripless because there are certainly some areas that are southeast of here that do stock. In our direct area, they are 90% all wild fish naturally reproducing. So we say class one, class two streams. Here, really, the only stocking that is done is mainly hobby stocking. Groups may want to raise rear rookies or browns in classrooms. Actually, I don't know that they actually do put classroom browns. They might have to destroy those. But, yes, yeah, so there's very little stocking. It's basically all naturally reproducing wild fish, browns and, and where, brook trout. Browns and brook trout, okay. Yeah. And where are you, you said, in your area? Yeah. Where are you yeah. centered? Where do you should've. shop and stuff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I should have said that. Yes, we are in Viroqua, Wisconsin, V-I-R-O-Q-U-A. We are in the southwestern corner. We are in Vernon County. And we're just so people have a general idea, we are about four hours west and north of Chicago, four to five hours, I should say, whether you're in the burbs or downtown, two hours from Madison, three hours from Minneapolis. So we're southeast of Minneapolis. We are basically due west, maybe northwest of Madison, and Milwaukee about three, three and a half hours, Green Bay four, four and a half. So what's the closest airport <laughs> somebody yeah, wanted yeah, to fly in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. La Crosse, Wisconsin La Crosse. Is, the, is the closest regional airport. Internationals would be Minneapolis three hours, Madison two, Milwaukee three, Chicago five, well, mm -hmm. between four and five. Yeah, so okay, people, good. Yeah, most people do fly into either Minneapolis or I would say a big percentage fly into Chicago or come from Chicago. And Milwaukee and Madison, some travel. We actually have a small airport that some people do fly into here, just private plane, small airport. Sure, yeah. Yeah, good, good. So Bob Garman in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, wrote in and asked, why is it called the Driftless Area? Yeah, it is called the Driftless because the last glacial activity, this pocket did not have any glacial activity, no glacial drift. So, which meant in this pocket, there are limestone and sandstone bed stream bottoms. And in, at that time, all that water continued to percolate and flow and created these 
really magnificent valleys and coolies and rock formations. And there's no, so like drift on earth basically scours and flattens. So as that, there's limes, or excuse me, there's sediment and rubble and silt. And that, this area managed to avoid all of that. So we still have big elevation changes, karst topography with underground valleys and stream systems and big limestone bluffs. And it's, absolutely gorgeous so it's am i that is hearing this yeah is am i hearing this that the driftless area then is more like it was before the glacial the glaciers did scour the other parts of the continent i'm sorry so repeat that so is it like that prior to was it like this prior to the last ice age last glacier yeah does does it represent what the land was like prior to the last ice age more so, so than I, the other yeah, areas I that think, were scoured. I think so, yeah, basically no changes. I can't say that I know that. I'm yeah. not a geologist, but it does that does make sense to me that there would be very few changes in that topography. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So what are the, you kind of talked about the streams just now a bit with the limestone and so forth, but in general, are we talking large rivers with side streams or are we talking all small streams? Yeah. What does it look like on the ground there? Good question. And I think myself having moved here from the Southern Rockies and all of my fishing experience had been either in the Northwest or in the Southwest. And I had zero idea what a spring creek was or what it looked like. These little creeks in our area are stream or excuse me, uh, street to sidewalk sized streams. They're all spring fed, really clear very intimate fishing. You're either in lightly wooded areas or pasture areas, and it's all a very consistent flow. We don't have huge rapids. We have nice ripples, and we have nice meandering little streams that are pretty easy to navigate. It can be a little bit technical, maybe not a little bit. It can be pretty technical, but it's charm. I mean, it's amazing how intimate and lovely an experience it is versus going to, which I love big water. Don't get me wrong. I love big water. But this experience, this fishing is worlds apart, just completely different and a very slow kind of chill way to fish. Okay. Okay. So there's literally just springs all over the area and it's just like a web of these spring creeks, basically. Yes, absolutely. So I just, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, do they all flow down to the Mississippi to, you know, where does Eventually, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep, eventually, basically all of it goes to the Mississippi. So either, well, to the Wisconsin that eventually meanders to the Mississippi. But there's, yeah, they're just in our county alone. So in our small county, Vernon County, 260 plus miles of classified streams. I want to say, I'm trying to remember the number of streams just in our county. It's like 65 streams in our county alone and surrounding counties, not as many, but still plenty. I mean, there's just water everywhere. And our Lee Smith in Connecticut asks, are the flows pretty consistent throughout the year? They are consistent throughout the year. So what happens, again, being spring-fed, we don't, as everything freezes up, and it does, we're in Wisconsin, 
mid to late January, things start to lock up a bit. February typically is completely frozen over. But underneath that, those streams are still active. They're still moving. And what happens to these small streams, we don't get big, huge runoffs like you do out west. We get maybe, and it is as like if we get quick melt and if the ground has absorbed already a fair amount, we would maybe get like a day and a half of what we call runoff. However, with that constant clear water coming out of those springs, they clear up really quickly. And in fact, even in our flood situations, in some of the worst floods that we've experienced since we've been here, by the often by the end of the day, certainly by the next day, we have visibility and we're fishing. So that's one of the different things. Yeah, after rain, we can have big rain events and still not have blown out water. And again, if it is blown out, we wait 12 to 24 hours and typically we have at least fishable water. Yeah, yeah. Well, you said you were out today guiding and and you said there was some rain and a little muddy water, yep. but you yep. still got into fish. Yep. Just because we're talking about clarity and so forth, how did you handle that today? What did you do differently than you would on a normal day when the waters are yeah. clear? Well, I'll just say prior to the rain that we just got, I don't know, I would say it had been maybe close to a month since we had precipitation. So our water, actually maybe more really, any measurable, but our water was low and our water gets like gin clear. So especially on the smaller streams, really clear water, the bigger streams, what we call bigger stream, which would be a street size stream and not a big city size, just a regular street size stream, they will maybe hold some stain. And some, there's one stream in mind that does typically have a bit of stain throughout the year, but they will cloud up quickly and clear quickly. The bigger streams maybe don't clear quite as quickly. So I was on one of the larger streams for us and it had, I would say, maybe six inches of visibility. So for me, actually I would say for pretty much any of the guides in our shop, we all really prefer stained water. We're typically fishing upstream in these teeny little, these spring creeks. So as we're fishing upstream, fish can see us if we're not stealthy. Fish can see us if our cast isn't perfect and they identify our flies a little better. So I prefer when there's some stained water. There was enough. I saw a few fish coming up. Uh, I think caddis, they weren't reacting to caddis when I put them on. But what we were doing was just hopper dropper rigs. We're seeing some stone flies right now. So putting on a little chubby Chernobyl and dropping so I can get bigger in my, A, bigger in my leader, which I love, shorter in my leader, which I love. And then my flies can get quite a bit bigger and I can go with brighter colors, something that's going to attract. I can double nymphs. I can double, well, I don't double dry right now, but I can put on a big leech. So normally when there's some stain, I don't go with the dark leech. I'll usually go with a lighter gray or maybe like a honey colored or we are seeing some non-parasitic lampreys right now so i have a little green kind of what we call it an eaty meaty thing it's a green leech with a big heavy tungsten bead and it's got a teeny bit of flash in its collar and that attracted fish i've got a natural gray color that they really like too but putting on bigger silver beads white beads something again that can break through that stain and attract fish and normally in stained water i get bigger fish and typically more fish, quite honestly. Apart from a hatch, that would be from a really solid hatch. Stained water nymphing is great in the dripless stream. Yeah, I was thinking with that little stain or color in the water that 
that gives you a little protection, right? In other words, uh, that gin clear. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and I'm not the stealthiest of people. I am really (laughs) clumsy. I trip and fall a lot, but I still manage to eke a few fish out here there. So, yeah, it certainly helps as far as, yeah, angler approach. Stain stain is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, gives you, uh, well, you just said sometimes you catch more fish and bigger fish because of it. Yeah, uh, yep. Typically, Typically, we do, yeah. Yeah. Okay, time to take a quick break, Jerry, but when we come back, we'll talk more about fishing in the Driftless area of Wisconsin, so hang with us. There are not many places in the world where you can fly fish for permit, tarpon, bonefish, and snook, all within a few miles of each other, but you can in Belize. When you fish with Charlie Leslie fly fishing, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest fly fishing in Belize. You'll start out from Placencia and take just a 30-minute boat ride to your lodging on the island. And once you're there, you'll be fishing lagoons full of tarpon and targeting permit on the flats of Permit Alley. Bonefish and snook are ready for your cast as well. Charlie Leslie, with over 50 years of experience in the waters of Belize, his son Marlon Leslie, and their other hand-picked guides know the local waters like no others. Book your next Belize adventure now with Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing. Visit charlieleslieflyfishing.com or call 303-430-4634. Again, that's charliesleflyfishing.com, or call 303-430-4634. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Jerry Meyer about the Driftless area of Wisconsin. If you would like to ask Jerry a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. So, Jerry, I always ask my guests, what's going on in your fly fishing world? Tell us about what you and your husband are doing up there in Wisconsin. What are we doing? Well, we are thankfully survived pandemic time. That was really rough. And in in fact, in our, our shop, we didn't even really open up. I mean, we were doing some online stuff. We were doing curbside, but we really didn't even open our shop up until, what, June 18th, I think. And the second week in June, I think, is when we started guiding again. So we're celebrating the fact that we are back in our shop and we're guiding. That's number one. We're extremely happy about that. We didn't make it to any shows, so that was a drag because we do. I typically, well, every year I go to Denver, and then we go to the Great Water Show in Minneapolis. I used to go to Jersey fly fishing show. So all the shows that I'd been going to, we I guess we went to Denver right before the pandemic, and then we missed big Michigan show, and we missed the Minneapolis show. So that was a bummer, but now, yeah, I mean, our web business, our online business was excellent, and thank you to everybody who helped, and that was awesome. Through all of this, we have done, I think we've spoken to several, well, many TU groups and groups online. We've done a bunch of Zoom stuff throughout the winter and actually just all of the pandemic, And that was cool because we at least got to see some faces that we normally would have and we weren't able to, so we were missing our friends and shop customers. So that was nice. trying to think of what else. We've got some trips scheduled. We've had to bump a bunch of trips. We go to Argentina for trout. We go to Patagonia, obviously, and then we do a Dorado trip. And that one, I think we're on our fourth rebooking for Dorado, which is a drag, but, you know, Crimey River, right? My travel plans got bumped. So, yeah, but, a lot of people yeah. did. 
Exactly. <laughs> a lot uh, of it, yeah, my first world problems. But yeah, so, so we are So did you have a you have a fly shop there, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. guide service and yep. but you do something a bit different in your fly shop, right? As we talked about in your bio. Oh, as far as the women's my yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well so I started the women's business. It was Athena and Artemis. When I would go to shows I had booth that I would set up that was all women's stuff. And so basically, it has always been this way, though. So almost down the middle, our shop is split. One side is all women's gear. One side is all men's gear and apparel. And it's been that way for many years. Started when Matt, when we opened the shop and all the reps would come and I'd sit in and say, well, where's the women's stuff? Where's the women's stuff? And I'd <laughs> nag and nag and I'd email. And then as more and more stuff started coming out and once it got to not being just, you know, placating and throwing a piece of crap out there. Once it became like technical, really good gear, we just started picking everything we could up. And I thought, well, I'm going to put it online since not everybody's want to come to southwestern Wisconsin. I'm going to put it online and go to shows. And it's been great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I... on top of the physical shop, we have the two, we have the women's fly shop online store and the Drizzle thing we're on online store. Yeah, we just got uh, one of your customers wrote in here during the show, Kate Lodge from Illinois. She's my girl. And she said, I could never find waiters or boots to fit till I walked into the Driftless Anger flight <laughs> shop, and Jerry had me fitted in no time. Thank goodness for a wide selection of women's clothing. Driftless Spring Creeks are also awesome. So there oh. you go. Testimonial yes. right there. Yeah, Kate nice. Is, it was like, Angel sang when she walked in and we <laughs> ran to each other. Cause at that time, I mean, at that time, honestly, as a woman, well, this is many moons ago, but you'd walk into a shop and it was like, oh, people look at you like, what are you doing here? And I think Kate, well, I know Kate had that experience for a lot of her life as well. We are of a certain age, so we know what it was like to go into stores before there was as many women as there is now. And we weren't connected yeah. the same way, so... It was great. I still love it when I see women walk in the store, but especially yeah. back in the day, it was pretty awesome. So what and are your website? Yeah. What are your website addresses so people can find you? Oh, thanks. Driftlessangler.com and womensflyshop.com. Okay. Driftlessangler.com and womensflyshop.com. All right, great. Well, good. Well, thanks for sharing what's going on up there with you guys. And yeah. sounds like you've got a unique business in this world, which we need to help women out. And that's great. The more women, the better, as far as I'm right concerned, on. getting in fly fishing. All yeah. right, let's get back to the Driftless area. And we did, Charlie Phelps in Minnesota wrote in, he says, Jerry, first off, it was fun to see you in the, the film Dropped in the Pacific. What about fishing surprised you the most when you moved your family here? And what about the fishery has changed both for better or for worse since your arrival. But first, tell people about this dropped in the Pacific thing. So that sounds like... It was amazing. So Jessica Haydal is the videographer, photographer, and the trip was organized by Peg Miskin. She works with Casting for Recovery and specifically Cast One for Hope. And Peg's amazing. If you don't know her, you should know her. Peg's fantastic. So Peg organized this trip. Jess was going to just do a video of, for lack of a better term, some normals. We're, <laughs> none of us are, we're not young, we're not influencers, we're not, but we fish and we 
have an absolute blast and encourage each other and support each other. And it was the kind of group that Peg said, all right, let's go. Let's just go and have some fun and fish our brains out. And so we did, none of us having ever been, most of us, I think, had fished salt, but none of us had fished that extreme. It was, oh man, it was crazy. It was all across the board crazy. The fishing was insane. The Where did they drop you? Off. <laughs> so Kiribati, so so Christmas Island, and yeah, we well we flew into Honolulu, spent the night, and then yeah, flew to the island and stayed there for a week, and it was amazing. And for what I mean, I'll be honest, for what Jess had to work with, because she just it was kind of like the filmmaker's dilemma of each time she was with one of us, we weren't on fish, or if we'd like, I landed a huge bonefish, and my guy just shook it. He was just so used to not taking pictures, and she's like, "I'm filming." <laughs> or the next time she was with somebody, we just weren't on fish, and then the other people in the other boat were just banging on fish. I mean, for what she made out of that, I thought she did. She's just really gifted she's oh. super talented well, no it was like awesome. fun yeah it was yeah it was great yeah oh sorry yeah 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 go ahead well what surprised me the most again having never fished spring creeks ever and i grew up in eastern washington really didn't fish much at all until i left and matt and i both fished house he had he's from michigan he had fished for years and managed shops and he'd been doing it forever but when we met i did I had fished a little, but it was all southern Rockies, big water. And so when we moved, so we actually got on a plane, visited the area because he'd heard about it. His buddy had heard of the Driftless Seas from Mankato, Minnesota, and he said, you know, check this area out. So we got on a plane, checked it out. Never, like we saw streams, but we didn't fish. We didn't, we didn't even have our gear. But we just fell in love. It's this sweet little funky farm town and water everywhere. And there wasn't a fly shop. Actually, before that, Matt, had he came home one day and said, hey, what do you think about moving to Wisconsin? And I laughed. And I won't say the expletive, but there was several. Why the blank <laughs> would I want to move to Wisconsin? Have you lost your mind? Yeah. And he, he talked fancy to me. And we got on a plane and, yeah, just fell madly in love with it. But when we actually moved here, we moved here in August 6th, and it was 106 degrees and relative humidity, I want to say it was like 97%. And it was just nasty. And we got up in the morning at 10 a.m. and we'd go hit a stream and we'd get skunked. And, I mean, I remember there was a day where – and we're both proficient. I mean, he'd guided – I'd fished for a while. We're both pretty proficient anglers. And I remember there was a day where I was crying, just going, oh, my God, what did we do? We, what did we do? We made the biggest mistake. We bought a building and filled it full of shit, and now we can't catch a fish. Oh, it was awful. But we had, luckily, some wonderful people. John Bethke is the inventor, of people know, of the pink squirrel. He's the inventor of the pink squirrel, and he kind of took us under his wings. And he said, all right, you knuckleheads, A, it's the middle of summer. You can't fish in the midday sun. You've got to get on the water at 5.30 or 6 in the morning. And then you can get back on the water at dusk. So that was number one, one of our biggies. Next was we're using big western flies. And we're probably slapping them. I mean, there was so much about what we were doing that was 
wrong. So we kept fishing and kept fishing and again had the support of so many amazing people in the community, in the fly fishing community, that it helped. And we finally got it. So that was the biggest surprise. Just, I mean, how completely different Spring Creek fishing is, number one. But then I think, I'm trying to think the second part of the question. That surprise, oh, and what's changed for the better? I would say for the better, there's definitely more access. And the stream work that's been done, Two Dare. I don't know if, if you're familiar, if the group's familiar with Two Dare, Trout Unlimited, Driftless Area Restoration Effort, spearheaded by a man named Duke Welter. And there, I mean, there are many others that worked with Two Dare, but I believe they started in 2004, so a little bit before us, but that has just helped immensely. The amount of work, I mean, so many Trout Unlimited groups that do just constant work on these streams from Chicago, from Minneapolis, from Milwaukee, from Green Bay, lots from Green Bay and Milwaukee and Eau Claire and Madison. So there's so many groups that come to this area to specifically work on our streams. So that's huge. Probably the things that are worse, there are more flooding events. In the 15 years that we've been here, 15 plus, man, I want to say we've seen two 500-year floods. We've seen a 1,000-year flood. We've seen there are major flooding events, and they're not getting better. They're probably not going to get better. That's been something that we are, you have to work within. And so we do, and as does our, the stream efforts change, they're building fewer lunker structures than before and just basically working on bank side grading and adjustments are being made and it's fisher resilient and the fly fishing community is resilient. So that, though not great, that's definitely something that is we're working with. I guess one no. other would be, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Within ag, hey, foes. I'm like everywhere, that's always a challenge for streams and for fish and resources. We have to just really try hard to work with farmers and with, so again, back to the capos, we do have like some repeat offenders with manure spills. So that's something, but the community rallies around it, you rallies around, and we do actively try to fight when we hear that there are big confined operations coming in, big ag coming in, these streams are deeply affected by that. So I would say it's in the worst category. However, it's pretty inspiring to see the group of anglers across all political spectrums. It doesn't matter. This is our playground. This is our the area that we love, that we want to protect, and we're all stewards of. So that's been really awesome to see people really take up that initiative to protect the resource. That's been awesome. Yeah, Barry Meyer in Illinois Basically, I think you've answered his question, but he's talking about some fear uh, oh, damage from flooding yeah. and then the improvements were wiped out and so forth. But it sounds oh, like yeah. from what you're saying, everybody's just jumping back in after these floods and doing what they can to do restoration yeah. and, and maybe I mean, change I, a few things. Yeah? I would say, sorry, I answered part of that, Barry, but no, in, I would say the last major flood, there have been several, but the one that probably Barry might be talking about is I think three years ago, there was a major storm, and I want to say in 24 hours, we got 18 inches of rain, and there had been some, our ground was already wet because we'd had several days of rain, and what happened was it just breached the dam on one of our major streams, blew everything out, all the safety dams and the smaller dams and the smaller creeks and tributaries blew, and it was like 30 years, I, I sincerely, 30 years worth of work 
gone, just gone. So that was huge, and we haven't completely recovered. The DNR has done work, TU's done a ton of work, but, you know, still not 30 years worth of work. That has been some major adjustments. However, back to Fisher Resilient, we've got to find new, they're holding in different places. They're pooling in different places. This is not, it's not the kind of thing where we can go back to our old haunts, and which is kind of fun in some ways to be able to explore and find out where they're where they are. We can't count on all those lunker structures that were protecting and holding fish all the time because most of them filled in or blew out. So yeah, that is definitely something that's happened. And however, having said that, our streams needed scouring so badly. And that is exactly what happened. And now we see bug life that at least for when Matt and I got here 15 years ago, many that we hadn't seen ever. So we've got a tan stonefly that we had never seen. We're starting to see we see bigger, better hatches, a little more consistent. So that's been pretty cool, to say the least. So maybe one of the silver linings to it overall is tough, but I think that certainly there's some things that worked out well. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, it's well. Some of those natural things have to happen. I'm yep. listening to. Well, I live up in the mountains in Colorado, and of course, wildfires are always a danger here. But having been educated the past few years on the forests and stuff, when we as humans try to fight these fires and stuff that are many times natural, it doesn't help, but actually hurts. And I kind of think of yep. flooding that way sometimes too. Yeah, nobody likes it, but and nobody likes a wildfire, but at times it's necessary to restore the ecosystem as it was many years ago before man started interfering. Yeah, I hear hear what you're saying. That's a lot of rain, though. What did you say, 18? God, you know what? I I want to say it was 18 in 20, how, maybe I'm off, but it it was like in two days, two two days' time. But again, the days before, it was like a four-inch and then a six-inch and then built up to that 24 hours, and maybe it was 13. But I, I know it was in the teens, and the, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm listening other to other big days. Yeah, I'm listening to an audio book now uh, called Collapse, and it's about how societies collapse around the world. Yeah. But he starts out talking about Montana and the Bitterroot Valley up there, and they get 16 inches of rain. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh, I can't yeah. imagine it. Oh, yeah, anyway. it, it was insane. Well, yeah. we just have to deal with what we have to deal with and, and try yeah. to do the best with it. Well, let's talk. Craig in Portland, Oregon asked about what are the river access laws like in Wisconsin with many of these waterways being smaller creeks rather than large rivers. Is it tough to get access to fishable water? Yeah, that is an awesome question. In the state of Wisconsin, the water belongs to the people. If your feet are wet, you are legal to fish in the state of Wisconsin anyway. Now, the tricky part is your access in and out. The one thing that Wisconsin does that is great is 100% of the trout stamp, 100% goes to stream improvement or access purchase. It goes directly to trout and habitat. That is awesome. But the other thing that, that the state does is it buys easement. So... I believe, I want to say it's 33 feet from the center of the stream. So whatever side is eased, if both 33 feet both sides, you can, if there is an easement, there is an access point. And our styles are two posts, two cross posts, look like a little ladder, white sign, green lettering that says respect landowner rights, blah, blah, blah. So you can walk directly to the stream and you can walk on the bank. 
if you don't know if there is an easement, you are still able to access at any bridge. And some, most of the farmers and most of the landowners are just awesome, and they want you to fish. There's some that maybe aren't, they don't love it in trying to be respectful. We can get in at a bridge and we just keep our feet wet. So if your feet are wet, you can fish. If there is an obstruction or any kind of impediment, if there's a big log down, big deep hole, you can walk out and walk around it. You cannot fish around it. So that is considered trespassing, but you can walk around it and then get your feet wet again and then fish. Most of the water, so I would say there most people come here to fish either Timber Coulee Watershed, which is a main stretch of timber, and then there's three tributaries, huge amount of water. And basically, I mean, I want to say at least 80% of it has an easement. Most of it has easement. So there are styles all over these streams, styles and bridges. So that is extremely welcoming for anglers because it's really pretty easy to find water. The other thing we tell people is just come in the shop. We have these freebie maps that are fantastic maps and we mark them and say here go here and these are the flies that are working and that's that that is also nice for people to come into the area because they've got an immediate map and area that they can find some fish and some water smaller creeks they're not really tough to access a lot of the streams well there's a lot of pasture so those are fairly easy there's apart from midsummer not a ton of really gnarly bank side vegetation. Midsummer, we get wild parsnip and nettles and some nasty stuff, and it gets huge. So by the end of summer, it can be pretty daunting and pretty hard to navigate. But through spring and into, I want to say, like pretty well into June, it's pretty easy to see. So your access points, you don't have to do a lot of hiking. You're not going any kind of a mountain or hill or it's not a mile walk. It's usually a matter of yards to get to the streams. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. friendly that way. Well, good, good. Now, you mentioned earlier that the streams kind of, they get us iced over in January, February. Are you able to fish the other 10 months, or is there a trout season in Wisconsin? Or There is, yep. Okay. Yep, there's a season. So the first Saturday in January is when our season opens for trout, and then you can fish all the way until October 15th. That is when trout closes for spawn. Okay. We, yeah, 15, done, and we close our shop up, and we're available, call or online, whatever. But the season itself, I say, yeah, we're open the first Saturday in January. Yeah, we can have some pretty good days in January. It's normally winter stoneflies, midges, and leeches. That's typically what we fish in January. Maybe early February if things haven't completely locked up. This year, I do think we had some time in early February where we're still fishing. But then by the end of it, yeah, it just completely locked up and you just can't fish. Yeah, yeah. So 15th is it. But, yep, we usually start saying fishing really starts to get good and thawed by the end of March, early April. Okay. Yeah, that's more of a realistic season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. David Gone in Fort Collins, Colorado, asks, what's the best month to dry fly fish? We start to see hatches end of april typically normally our cookie cutter answer is may is the best month for hatches october can also be really good but in may we start to see caddis is usually what well we'll see midges we'll be fishing midges in the beginning and not that's my favorite (laughs) midge fishing is not my favorite but 
I will do it if that's what the fish want. But once <laughs> you start to see caddis, things get a little more fun, and then we'll start to see some crane flies. That's kind of the end of April, early May, all of sporadically. And then by mid-May, we're pretty heavily into crane fly fishing. Cat is still happening, and we'll start to see ants and beetles. And that can be really fun. Same thing, September, we're still fishing terrestrials typically. We may, if we have a warm September, we may still see trichos. So our trichos usually start July and go through August. And then we can still see them in September. I remember a couple years where we saw a few stragglers in October, in the beginning of it. But usually olives are good in October and we're still fishing trico or still fishing terrestrials. Yeah, so May... October are usually best, that's yeah. yeah that's what we save for our hatches. Are there any? Anyway, yeah. yeah. Are there any standout hatches that that you look forward to? Definitely, caddis are a ton of fun. I like out there too. Caddis we love, but my very favorite are crane flies. The fish hmm. just get crazy. In fact, they're they just splash around they seem so clumsy and kind of spazzy the way they eat like really aggressively they just love crane flies and it is such a blast to fish them i do like trichos too trichos i always get my ass handed to me with trico fishing but i really <laughs> love it oddly enough i don't like midge fishing but i like trico fishing so no yeah i would say crane flies are without a doubt my favorite yeah, yeah. I just been reading. Paul King wrote in here. He's from Massachusetts. He says his first introduction to the area was through a movie called Heart of the Driftless. <laughs> yeah. um, we also visited the area on a motorcycle trip about eight years ago. Terrific location for both. So, is that a movie you would recommend for to oh, learn about the without drifters? a doubt? Absolutely. Oh, okay. It is. Yeah. It's a great movie. A uh, third eye fly fisher, Rob Thomas, is the creator and videographer, filmmaker. He's awesome. He's in Chicago, and it's a great film. My husband, Matt, he's in it quite a bit. Duke Welter, the gentleman I was talking about, Tudere, Bob Bloomer, they're just like a lot of local flavor, a lot of local anglers, and they really cover they cover the area really well. It's awesome. It's a great DVD, hmm. but it is a DVD that we've got. <laughs> yeah. I sound yeah. so old. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, at least it wasn't a <laughs> tape. Yeah, yeah. It's not easy getting old. You talk about these I'm things. I'm fighting it. <laughs> oh, you're young yet still, so don't worry about that. There was a question by Andy in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. He's asking, how much has the pressure increased in the driftless area due to the pandemic, and what is the effect on the watersheds? Did you get – in Colorado, let me preface this to say, but the, the public waters in Colorado were just loaded with fly fishers during the pandemic. I mean, the parking lots yes. were full. So was that the same for Wisconsin? Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, to the point where, and it was tough, but we understood. I mean, totally understood because that's all we could do. That's all we wanted to do to begin with, but that's all we could do. Everybody, nobody could work. All the shops were closed. We weren't open. So, of course, if you can fish, it's safe. We're outside. You, weren't, you can do it by yourself. You don't have to be around other people. It was great in that we had that available to us. It was tough for us. We're kind of in a different circumstance. We're in this little town that's 4,800 people, a small hospital, two ventilators. So to have all of these people come from urban areas, it was kind of unnerving. So a community 
had some concern about it for sure. And we did our best to manage that from our position in the shop because we understood, but at the same time, we also knew if we've got people getting infected from big urban areas, our hospital couldn't support that. And really our community couldn't. So yeah, that was tough. And I think that there were some people, because there were so many people, in some ways people kind of lost their minds. Like they were doing stuff that they might not have done etiquette-wise. Maybe, mm. yeah, I mean, there were stories, I have lots of stories, and we did lose a few easements over it, a couple, I should say, and there were some disgruntled landowners, for sure. There were people that were trespassing. There were people that were going to the bathroom and anywhere right. and everywhere and leaving trash and you know, all those things. Yeah. yeah, I think, but it definitely has eased up. I mean, there's yeah. still a lot of people fishing. I mean, it's still... Again, it's safe. Why not? It's safe. Yeah. It's a great pastime. It's a healthy pastime. Why not do it? But I think as far as the relationship between landowners and people traveling to the area and anglers, I think it's improving. I definitely do. And I think people, once they realized it and once they understood what the implications were, how it was affecting the fishery and the, the people here, people responded accordingly. And again, I think it's more than not fly anglers, at least the ones that come to us, are fantastic stewards. So yeah, at the end of the yeah. day, it's all good. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk more about the drift list. So uh, hang tight, everybody. We'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration of habitats like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats like the peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. FFI's core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish to preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying and to help ensure future generations can continue to enjoy those one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Jerry Meyer about the Driftless area of Wisconsin. If you'd like to ask Jerry a question, just go to our homepage, fill out that form, send it in, and we'll see if we can get Jerry to answer tonight. Send those questions in. Okay, here comes one. Lewis Coleman, or Coleman Lewis, are there any sulfur hatches in the Driftless? There are, and actually pretty solid ones. So usually end of June can start a little bit earlier. We'll start seeing sulfurs and then kind of in general, just light bodied mayflies, but we do typically have a good solid sulfur hatch. He also asked, end of June, and he, early July. He also wrote in and says, are there any, and he spells, he separates the word sick S-I-S-I-C-K space Kedas in the Driftless area. I don't know. Cicadas. <laughs> I don't know if it's we, just misspelled or he doesn't like cicadas. <laughs> oh, well, Six I don't know. Really, yeah. I mean, I like that fish like them. We don't, we really don't get, at least we haven't. I shouldn't, I mean, in the 15 years 
we've never really seen a mate. I've seen a few cicadas here and there, and actually today I saw a couple, but I haven't. We don't get the big falls like, yeah. like other places out west like do. Green and River actually, and Utah and stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, we don't get them, but I really do like fishing cicadas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Steve Galloway is asking about the best resource for maps for driftless access and fishing options. You had mentioned you have a map. Is that available online as well or just in the it's shop? It's not. Or? Yeah, okay. it's not. It's a local map that I'm trying to even think who printed out the Driftless Wisconsin Travel Bureau or something like that. And we hand those out, I think, several of the little hotels and motels around do but the easiest thing you can do well you can go on the dnr website and wisconsin dnr and you kind of have to dig a little but not that much but you'll find streams and regulations and you'll find classifications and some access points the other thing you can do is if you really want to fish the wisconsin driftless is that you can grab the book the improved waters of wisconsin by todd hansen we sell them in the shop. I think he sells them direct. He also does one for Iowa and Minnesota. Great books. I mean, great. All improved waters, public water. It's really easy to read, well-marked. Great book. Sounds good. Okay, good. David, the gone in Fort Collins asks, what, is, what town is the best home base to fish yeah, in the so area? For, I mean, I would say Baroque was kind of right in the middle of the Driftless. So we're central, but if you just want to parse it out statewide, we, I would say, Viroqua for Wisconsin, Lanesboro, Minnesota for Minnesota, and then Decorah, Iowa is a good place to make your home base if you want to fish the Iowa Driftless. For us, Hotels, we're about an hour. restaurants and stuff, right? Absolutely. Yeah, all of them. They all have plenty of... Decorah's cute, just a cute little town. It's a college town, lots of shops, lots of restaurants. For us, we're kind of a... I want to say there's maybe six or seven motels. There's lots and lots of Airbnbs and cabins on water. Plenty of restaurants, lots to do. Lanesboro, same way. Okay. Rick in Tennessee uh, is asking about RV boondocking, dry camping in and around the streams. Is that available? As well? Definitely. So there are two county parks that we usually suggest that people look into. One is called a Sophia. It's actually Rents Park, R-E-N-T-Z, and a Sophia. And then the other one is Sidi Hollow, S-I-D-I-E Hollow. Both of them have, I would say, Sidi is kind of more family-oriented. It's oriented. It, there's a man-made little lake that you can fish for panfish and bass, a little stream that runs through it that holds some brookies. Just cute little place. The other one is Sophia's a little more, I would say there's a bigger fishing community at that one. A little more rural, but they do have flush toilets and showers, both do. And then the third that we typically tell people is the West Fork Sportsman's Club. And that's really, it runs right, or it's right on the West Fork of the Kickapoo. And it is kind of a fly fishing community. So most of the people there are anglers and most are fly anglers. And it is, that one is maybe 15 minutes from the shop. Sidey's 15 minutes from the shop and rents is 20. You can go to Vernon County Parks and I believe get reservations. And I think with the West Fork, you might be able to get to them on Facebook. And then there's an Iron Ranger there that you can go down and check in. You have to be a member at the West Fork, and that's 35 bucks a year. And great fishing right out right there. Okay, okay. So Tim 
Chrisman in Cleveland, Ohio. He says he wants to know the three favorite places to fish near Viroqua. Fishing there May 16th, 17th, and 18th. There are, first of all, I would say come into the shop, and I'll whisper the real ones, but I'm going to give you the fake ones here. <laughs> uh. or, or hire Jerry to guide you. And- Most people come to fish either Timber Coulee Watershed, which the main stretch of timber is on P, and then it has three tributaries, Rulins Coulee, Spring Coulee, and Bohemian Valley, which is Coon Creek. And that is, I think, a lot of people come to fish specifically that watershed. The other would be the West Fork of the Kickapoo. Both fantastic streams, great access, just lovely. The other one would be the North Fork of the Bad Axe. And that one can be a little more temperamental and fickle, but it's great water. I mean, there's, like I said, 65 streams just in our county. There's so many to choose from. So it does kind of change to weather patterns, the way they go around us. Sometimes we can have tons of water north of us and nothing south. My and, and whatever, there may be a good hatch on south stream and not on east stream. So it changes. It does change. But those are the ones that I would say are, are at least the easiest for somebody new coming into the area. Yeah, now somebody, let's see, Evelyn Adams just wrote in and said oh, there's a Driftless map that can be found at driftlesswisconsin.com. So that, oh. might not, that might be another resource for folks. Uh, and speaking of resources, Dave okay. Hudak uh, asked about a bunch of resources. I think Jerry's covered most everything you asked there, but Dave, if there's something specific you want to know that we haven't covered, write in online and we'll, we'll see if we can do that. Okay, so let's talk about a little techniques and strategies there. Kate uh, Lodge, who wrote in earlier, gave you that great testimonial. It says, what's your favorite rod and line for the Driftless Spring Creeks? I am kind of a Scott person. I personally love Scott rods, and that's normally what I fish. I own a fly shop, so I can. <laughs> I understand price-wise, they don't fit into everybody's budget, but they are spectacular rods. And even though my favorite is Scott G series, I absolutely love it. It's medium action, just beautiful rod. I really do like, we. I've got a Scott Radian, which they don't make anymore, but, oh man, the four-weight and three-weight on both of those, are perfect creek rods and I'm a little muscly caster I'm a little impatient in my cast so I don't want to say I'm hugely disciplined so I do like fast action rods I really do I try really hard to slow my cast down so if I'm feeling especially patient I will fish fiberglass I adore fiberglass but I again for me it's a tool because I have to slow my cast down. I've got to get dialed in with glass, but these streams are perfect for glass or bamboo. And I would say oh sage dart. That's another one that's a great creek rod. And on lines, weight forward, three four fives. I like SA amplitude infinity to match up with both my rating and G. Just love those lines. Super durable, float like a cork great presentation. We also sell a ton and fish a ton of the Amplitude Creek Trout. That essay, again, great line. Trying to think if there's anything I'm missing on that one. That's kind of what I do. You mentioned three and four weights, so that's primarily what you're carrying, three and four weight rods. Yeah, and floating Three, fours, and fives. We do fives, especially if I'm going to be, you know, big, heavy double rigs or streamers, uh, because we do quite a bit of streamer fishing and leech fishing. So, Oh, a five okay. is perfect. We try to tell people it's not 
the best idea to fish a long, a long rod. So nine foot gets almost where it's a little too long. I typically will fish an 8.0 or a 7.6 if I can't. 8.4 on my radians and 8.4. 8.6 is about as long as I want to fish. And sometimes we're having to go into overhanging trees and tight banks. You can't even roll cast with a nine foot in some of these streams. So right. yeah, nine O's are a little long, but five weights certainly great. And anything that's going to perform at a short distance, that's actually the main, when I have somebody out and we're casting rods, they want to belt out that 50 foot cast. And I'm like, that's great. I love that you can do it but you're not going to need that here. In fact, right. more than not, what we say as guides here, we're always telling people, you've got to shorten your cast, shorten your cast. Now you're lining fish, so let's get a rod that performs, or at least that you can make perform best at a short distance, 25-foot max. Up, down, short cast, make sure it's precise, make sure that rod and line deliver that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense, makes sense. Chris in Iowa says, I fish all the spring creeks in North East Iowa, sounds like the Driftless area. And what are your favorite flies for the Driftless region? Uh, that's kind of a broad question, but maybe you can well, take a right. for them. Yeah. yeah, I love talking flies. Certainly love olives and olive emergers. We've got what used to be the film critic, Idlewild Flies. Beautiful, cute little merger pattern. And we carry... A, it's called a film star, and it's basically the same tie. So I fish those in Iowa as well quite a bit, especially in the fall. All of time, we're really having a ton of fun with all the mergers then. Crane flies, as I'd mentioned before, I just love crane flies. Caddis, and for my terrestrials, hippie stompers, pretty much across the board. I'll start, in fact, we're fishing them now. We have people catching fish, just oddly enough, in the winter on a hippie stomper. So... Hippie stompers, I will fish from probably mid-April all the way through October. Yeah, hippie stompers is a big one. Andrew Grillis, he came here, oh, two years ago in June and did a tying demonstration and hung out with a bunch of people. Kate Lodge, the, one of the people that's been asking questions, was at this, and he's the hippie stomper guy, so... Yeah, that was a ton of fun, and he was so amazed at how well his pattern fishes here. It's a great fly for the area. Yeah, Mark in Washington says he'll be fishing southeast Minnesota area near Houston the last week of May. Are there any particular hatches you should look for then and possible fly combinations to try? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Crane flies will still be going, probably tan caddis. Sulfurs, probably any light-colored mayfly. I might be seeing some Cahills then, maybe some PMDs in the afternoon or evenings. Hopper drop, oh, ants and beetles will be strong then. And we will be fishing throughout the summer hopper droppers. So hippie stomper on top, chubby Chernobyl on top, ants, beetle on top, subsurface, some kind of pheasant tail, maybe a scud, crane fly like a jiggy crane fly with soft collar. Um... Trying to think, am I missing any subsurface flies? We'll still be throwing some leeches in the pools, and at night we'll start to be we'll start to fish with mice. So keep that in mind. Definitely in the Houston area, there's plenty of water that you can throw some mice at. I love fishing those mice. Rich Palatsky out here in Colorado fishes a lot of still water up in the mountains here, and he showed me a tie from his design. He calls it the Mighty Mouse, and um, it's made out of backer rod foam, 
and, and squirrel. The tail and the body are squirrel, and this back rod foam lays over the top, creates kind of a, a front end that, that pushes water. And yep. it's just, it floats like a cork. And Well, people can look in, in our archive, look under Rich Palatsky or Mighty Mouse, the show we did with him. But I've been fishing last year, fished a lot of it down here at the lake, and it's just so much fun to get the hits on oh. <laughs> mice. Totally. <laughs> yeah, it sure is, yeah. Question in, on the internet here, Al Budinsky, who's also on Clubhouse, joins us many times yeah. in yeah. our rooms and has his own rooms out there. He says, what's the average size of brook trout in the Driftless area? Oh, yeah. So brookies are small and native. They're wild, not to downplay the size, but they tend to be 8 to 10 inches, I would say. 15 inch. I'm, I have been fortunate enough that I've caught one 15-inch brook trout, and that wow, was nice. a miracle. Yeah. That was a miracle. Yeah. So we do, yeah, they tend to be small. You can get them into that 12-inch range, but that gets on the chunkier side. They're aggressive. Yeah. I mean, they're a hoot. We also get tiger trout. We do have that hybrid brown brookie. Not a ton of them. They're kind of unicorns here, but certainly a ton of fun and beautiful, just cool fish, and also natural. They're all wild, so... Yeah, and you've been talking about the crane flies. It's a question in that asks about what imitations you use for the spindly yeah. insect. The ones we have that I would say are the best are coolie cranes. And if you go, you know, I don't even know that there are recipes. I'm sure there must be. But if you go to our website, we've got them on the site. Coolie crane flies, just thin body, long spindly legs. The ones we have the best success with orange and yellow, I tend to fish orange a little bit more, size 14, 16. You can email us, and I'm sure we could find a pattern. But in the meantime, you, you can look them up online. It's, they're a pain in the ass to tie, but they're just such a great fly. And it's, it's really obvious when they're eating crane flies. I mean, it's just this spazzy, flappy, uncoordinated, aggressive take. And they don't you don't see the plumes of flies you don't see like a big cloud hatch you see onesies and twosies and yeah. you see a handful of here and there but we fish them consistently and fish react and in fact I mean, we skitter like really put movement i'll first dead drift them a couple times and then i will start to skitter them and that's usually when they really grab sounds exciting too <laughs> it's it's a lot yeah. yeah yeah ed constantini in holton wisconsin he says, as many of the streams in the Driftless area narrow throughout the summer, do you find that you have to change your tactics at all? For example, shortening your leader for more control or using a different type strike indicator or none at all when nymphing. So any yep. you change up your tactics or talk about your tactics? Uh, all, you know, all of the above. So stealth is, no, yeah, stealth kind of it, it's key here. We're in these small little streams. We're fishing upstream. They're pretty clear most of the time. And in the summer, they can get a little bit low and they can get a little bit warm, even though they're coming out at a constant temperature between, well, ideally 48 and 52 is where the sweet spot is, but 45 to 55. And in the summer months, we'll start to get into the 65, 70 range in some of them. And so we certainly have to change up completely. The biggest one that we do is... Once it starts getting warm, and that's when we're going to see all that vegetation, is we start fishing a.m. and p.m. So we'll start hitting the streams 5.36 in the morning. We'll fish the first four hours. Usually it's going to shut off between 10 and 11. And then we separate. We part ways midday. 
go have lunch, have a beer, relax, nap, whatever, and then we get back on the water between 4 and 5 and we fish until dark. And then oftentimes we'll put streamers on and big foam patterns and then mice once we get too dark. So midday we really don't fish. It's uncomfortable. The fish aren't very active. We can, and I know some people still do. We just suggest hopper droppers and just hit the banks really hard. But short casts, certainly, we again back to that practicing that short, really precise cast. Threading a needle sometimes when you've got vegetation that's just super, super tight. Shorter leaders, most definitely, hopper droppers, and sometimes I'll do double dries. I rarely only fish a nymph in the summer months. In fact, I just would say I probably never do. So I'm pretty much always fishing a hopper dropper. Regulation? Allowed two flies in Wisconsin? Nope. No. So we can fish two. Actually, I think you can fish three, three, maybe even more. But I know, yeah, two flies are definitely legal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I do. And we practice reach mends. We don't mend it. You don't have to mend a ton here. It's simply because these fish really actually like a fair amount of movement. We do. There's certain applications for mending, but we'll reach mend. We have to do some roll casting and steeple casting. And I mean, Yeah, there's certainly things that we have to do in this small water, oftentimes without a back cast or else when we're in really high vegetation. But the summer months, certainly we have to change things up a bit. Yeah, sounds like you got to work for them. (laughs) They're not going (laughs) to come easy, right? Yeah. That's part of the fun, though. (laughs) We've got to wrap things up here, but any final thoughts or strategies or techniques that you want to share? Yeah, for sure. So the thing, my like big ones, that they're kind of no-nos, so I hate, hate being finger-shaking, but the thing for success here, again, stealth is something, you don't always have to be on your knees and crawling, but you do, we tell people, yeah, avoid bright colors, try to blend in greens, browns, and your natural colors, certainly make a difference. And then for what I always tell my clients and customers is water loading is something especially coming from the west that people are used to or fishing out of a boat really bad idea here water loading where you're slapping that fly to extend your cast you're putting that fly in the water for that tension it spooks fish all the time so i tell people really avoid a water mend if you're going to make sure it's in junk water or behind you if you have to but don't water mend in any kind of fishy area. And fish can hold 10 feet in front of us as we approach a stream. Even if you're just slapping it down on that little boulder right in front of you that you think surely there's no fish at, yeah, a lot of times there is a fish there. No water mending. And then don't be afraid of color in your flies. A lot of people get here and they think, oh, it can only be natural. No, we fish bright pink. We fish blue. We fish purple. Our hippie stomper, number one, probably the most effective and the number one hippie stomper that we sell is purple. So... Lots of purple, lots of pink, lots of red. Don't be afraid of color and don't be afraid of movement. Move your flies. If I, we do always dead drift. I'll say dead drift at first a couple times, then skitter it, then put some moves. Put some little ticks in those flies. Just a little jump can often just make the fish active at that point. They may just be looking at it, they see that little movement, and they get grabby. So those are my biggies. Those are good ones. <laughs> Lots to digest there. I think people have to right. replay that and uh, pick all that up. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a great place and a fun place and a beautiful place, too. Anyway, it's lovely. 
Got to wrap it up here, and uh, we're going to stick with me, Jerry, just a few more minutes. We're going to be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International, a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, and uh, giving away a book, courtesy of Stackpole Books. We'll do that in I would, just a moment. Yes. Oh, I was going to say, I would love to donate Wisconsin Improved Waters book. If you can do another drawing, I'd love to donate a book. We can just do that. We'll just do that. Yeah, yeah. So that, tell us about this book, Improved Waters. Again, you mentioned of, it earlier. Of Wisconsin, yeah, yeah. So the author is Todd Hansen. He, I don't even know how many years he spent writing this and doing all the work, but it is so count, or not stream by stream, I guess. It's watershed by watershed. It explains where all of this, the improvements have been. And then public land, and it shows like in... I'm trying to think of easements. It shows all the easements, which, and normally there's an indication that there's an access point, and it all shows some bridges. And I mean, I use it almost every day that I guide. Cool. Sounds like a great resource for folks. Yeah. And yeah, so we'll do that as our big prize tonight. And others suggest you get in touch with Jerry. And if you want a coffee you don't win tonight, then you can contact Jerry and uh, order one online from the shop there. That sounds great. Okay, well, let's do that. I'll just give them, let's see, a quick reminder before everybody leaves the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what do you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. So now let's give away a few prizes. The drawings, the winners come from drawings that where we randomly select from the show's registration database. And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for our next show because you don't want to miss out on, on winning one of these great prizes. So if you are the lucky winner, we will contact you after the show to provide you with information on how to receive your prize. So first, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about FFI, go to flyfishersinternational.org. We talked about it earlier. It's a great, great organization to support yeah. and be part of. So if you don't win tonight, join up. And our winner for that, let me get my database going here. Our winner for that is Joseph Sloboda. So congratulations on winning that membership. And Joseph will contact you after the show on how to get that. And then let's give away a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, which you can learn more about at amatobooks.com. And they have a host of books and periodicals on fly fishing. So check them out at amatobooks.com. And our winner for that is Kathy Timberg. Kathy Timberg. So congratulations, Kathy. I'm sure you're going to enjoy that uh, magazine as well. So congratulations to both Joseph and Kathy tonight, and hope you enjoy your prizes. So now we're going to give away, courtesy of Jerry Meyer, a book, <laughs> Improved Waters of Wisconsin by Todd Hansen. I won't make this too hard tonight. Sometimes I make these things too hard, Jerry, and <laughs> take forever to get an answer. Give him a break. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What Jerry mentioned earlier in the show what are the two best months for dry fly fishing? Two best months for dry fly fishing. So we'll see. Now, it takes a, there's a little delay before they hear us, and then they have to type, and they're either fast typists or slow typists, kind of like tying on a fly, right? Either you're fast or you're slow. <laughs> but we'll get an answer here in just a minute, and let's see if we can give away that book. And, okay, 
looking for answers here. Hasn't come in yet, but we're still waiting. So June and July. Nope. Those weren't it, were they, Jerry? Those weren't the two months. They were we not. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> They're good. Just that. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like we've got a winner here, I think. And in the area, Dave Wilhelm in Minneapolis, May and October. I think that's what we're looking for, right, Jerry? It is. September it is. is right there, too, but May and October is what I think. May and October yep. are the biggies, yeah. So David, yeah, David's cool. won before on our show, too, and but he's right, right there. So he just has to come over, and or you can fish the Driftless <laughs> in, in, uh, in Minnesota as well. So congratulations. And I can David. send it, too. I'm happy to send yeah. it. Yeah, David, just send uh, in the same text box. You can put in your address, your shipping address, and then I'll get that over to Jerry, and then she can ship that out to you. Or you could choose to stop in the shop and pick it up. Always an option, right? Either way. Yep. <laughs> let let us know what you want to do. Yeah. All right. So great. Well, hey, Jerry, thank you so much for being with oh. us tonight and sharing all your your great knowledge and loved having you on the show. As did I. That was so much fun. I really appreciate it. Always fun to talk fly fishing. So maybe we'll talk some right more on. tomorrow night, right, on Clubhouse. We so. will. I will okay. be on for sure. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Roger. You guys, yeah, everybody take care. Appreciate it. Okay. Hopefully uh, you all have found the podcast archive on our website. If you haven't, just look for the link under the top line menu and uh, the archive. You'll find all our past shows, over 315 shows, which you can search by keyword phrase like trout, Madison River, Driftless. Just go ahead and explore. I'm sure you'll find a lot of great uh, information that will help you in your fly fishing. And our next broadcast will be on May 19th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, I'll interview Phil Rowley. And our topic for the show will be stillwater trout fishing. Phil is a master of fishing stillwaters for trout. Stillwaters are one of the most challenging opportunities for today's fly fisher. They offer a long, active season with numerous hatches and presentation challenges. Fish grow big and fat, and many fishers find this appeal hard to resist. But the transfer from rivers to streams is often difficult, especially if a prolonged trial and air approach is adopted. So listen in to hear Phil's approach to stillwater fly fishing and learn a few more secrets on the way. And by the way, Phil is also on Clubhouse too. So if you want to talk with Phil Moore, join us on Clubhouse. So I'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Lee's Ferry Anglers, Charlie Leslie Fly Fishing for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com. And make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.